Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Well, good morning again, everybody. Hey, this section over here, how are we doing right there? Are we good? Okay. Making sure you're awake over there. Uh, people don't typically fall asleep until I start preaching. So, you know, like, just hang in there with me. If you have a Bible, the book of Exodus is where we're going to be. We're going to be, uh, over the next several weeks, journeying through these kind of different episodes, flyover. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. You can borrow one or just take it with you if you need to. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can open, it, open up that app and find our live event and track along with the sermon notes and scriptures and all of that important stuff. Okay. So here's the flyover of the, of the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. In Genesis, it's the story of beginnings and, and identity. This is kind of what we talked about last week. And uh, the, the, where, where uh, Exodus starts is basically the story is where Genesis ends. The people of God, the, the promised family of God, um, they're in Egypt. And uh, there's some stuff that we're going to see happens today. Ultimately, they end up as slaves in the land of Egypt. Um, to the Egyptian king, Pharaoh. And uh, uh, God sends a... a sends deliverance um, to them through uh, the hand of Moses. And so we'll, we'll track along with all of this stuff, all the ways that he, he does that. As though he's bringing them out, he's not just saying, okay, here we go, out of the land of bondage. Good luck, kids. He's not saying that at all. I think that's important to say because there are people who think God's going to deliver you from hell and then go, hang in there until you get to heaven. No, no. God is creating a new people while he's delivering them. Hear me again. One more time. God is creating a new... He's bringing you out of the bondage to anything that you may be into, sin and the death that results and all the other stuff that goes with it, all the brokenness that goes with it. He's bringing us out of those things and he's creating a new people that get to walk together until we meet with him and ultimately land ourselves in the promised land. Because, folks, let's be clear. Um, the, the, where we are today, this is not the promised land. Where we are today is not the promised land. Listen, six months ago, six years ago, that's not the promised land either. There's no normal in this broken world of ours. We get to go forward into what God has for us. That, that's what we're talking about today. And so that's where we are. So Exodus um, is that particular story. How do we not only experience the deliverance of God, but also then learn to live both with him, in relationship with him, and in relationship with one another? That's the book of episode, uh, the Exodus. And we're going to be looking at these episodes here. For episode one uh, that we'll look at today is in the first couple of chapters. And uh, if you had a title to it, it would be something along the lines of uh, tyranny and unlikely heroes. Like that would be the story. We'll, we'll look at that uh, here in just a second. So uh, Exodus, our deliverance, and the new people of God. Here we go. I'm very excited. I'm going to start in verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So just if you, if you read those words, just hang in there with me. Um, fruitful, multiply, fill the land. Does that ring a bell with anybody? In Genesis chapter 1, the mandate from God to um, humanity was be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Um, really what he's, he's doing here the, as, as this is unfolding, they're saying, hey, God is using these people to do what he wants to do in the earth. Right here 
in a very strange land, and he's still doing what he wants to do. Church family, right here, in a very strange land, God is still doing what he wants to do. Okay. Verse uh, now 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Joseph had been a part of uh, saving the Egyptian people and many, many others um, through his administrative work. He became the prime minister of Egypt there, and they worked to get through the famine and all the craziness that was their pandemic, their version of pandemic. Um, and uh, then there arose a new king. So this is kind of the political thing that happened. Uh, the This is... It, it's not tangential. It does matter. The Hyksos people um, were people who had come in and conquered Egypt, and they lived there and uh, ruled there for um, two or three centuries, depending upon who you ask. And then the Egyptians rose up and like, let's get all the Hyksos people out of here. Y'all get out of here. We're going to rule ourselves. Um, so there was political change, and there was cultural change, and there was mistrust of anybody who didn't look and act like you. There was political change and cultural change and mistrust of anybody who didn't look and act like you. I didn't know if you knew that the Bible was just an old book. It didn't have anything to do with today or anything like that. There's nothing that it could. Of course it does. Of course it does. Verse 9. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out. They join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So we're going to pause right here because there's four lessons, um, I think, from this, this first episode that I just want to um, identify, lay hold of, and they actually shape the way we uh, will look at the rest of the text. Here's lesson number one. Fear is a tyrant. Here, here's his fear, verse 9. Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them, lest... They multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies. Fear, fear is a tyrant. And in our day and in our age, we got, we got some stuff that would incite fear in us. There are viruses that we don't understand, pandemics, and, and consequences of that that we don't understand. Um, uh, we, some of us don't get um, the, the kind of... It seems to me, it seems to me that one of the things that God is up to in these days, in this, in the midst of all this chaos is doing some pruning and some sifting. Pruning hurts folks. Like when things get clipped off, it hurts, right? in the midst of chaos, and, and they find themselves in all sorts of trouble as a result. Here's what I'm saying. Fear is a tyrant. It, it, it has a, a, when it rules and reigns in our lives, God has not given us, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline, and there's plenty to fear go around. It doesn't matter how you're viewing the world right now. It doesn't matter how you're viewing this or viewing that. There's plenty of fear. Fear is a tyrant. Some of us aren't scared of the current situation. We're scared about the situation that may come in the future. Maybe it's an unknown future, or maybe it's a preferred future that we're not sure is going to happen anymore. Some of us are terrified of what will be or what might be future. Some of us, um, in light of um, the cultural climate in which we find ourselves, some of us, um, the fear revolves around this whole concept of identity. Am I who they say I am? And if so, or if not, 
who are my people as a result of that. There, there's all sorts of conversations to be had, some of the big ones. So um, th- this doesn't occur all the time, and it doesn't necessarily occur in this order or all these things together, but I thought it would be worthwhile to say when fear rules tyrannically in our lives, what does that, what does that look like? Well, the Bible helps us. Verse 11, therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, hit them and Ramses. First thing that fear does uh, when it uh, exerts its reign and rule in the tyranny that follows, it, it brings people into slavery. It brings, brings people into bondage. We then are held against our wills. We then have to deal with um, uh, uh, kind of issues in our lives, burdens, if you will, that we do not want to carry. We have to be about tasks that we don't necessarily sign on for, doing things that will benefit others but absolutely have no uh, benefit to our own, building sore cities for Pharaoh and so forth. They are, uh, it goes on to say, look down at verse 13, so they made the people of Israel work as slaves ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they made ruthless, made they, in all that work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Do you get the idea that this wasn't a pleasant existence? And when fear rules over our lives, the tyranny that results can feel like bondage, can feel like um, slavery. Second thing, look at verse 17. Uh, This is a little bit, uh, well, let's just pick up in verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, uh, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, which by the way, the king of Egypt or Pharaoh never actually, we don't know which one he is. He doesn't get a name. And it may just very well be because Pharaoh was Pharaoh and he was at the point of this story. And it may be that we have our own Pharaohs in our own lives, but that's coming here in just a second. Verse 16, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, they shall live. But the midwives feared God and didn't do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. So the um, First thing was, um, we don't like these people. Let's control them via slavery. But, but that didn't happen. Um, second thing was, uh, okay, let, let's, let's invoke um, murder as public policy. Slaughter. And I, I know that's misspelled on the thing. I type my own n- notes up here. It's completely my fault, okay? So, yes, it's misspelled. If you want to take a picture and squiggle a little red line underneath it, it's my fault, all right? Okay, it's my fault late. Okay. So just slaughter. Don't, 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 don't get lost. Death is the result. People who, um, uh, let fear and tyranny, excuse me, the the tyranny of fear uh, rule in their lives. Death is often the result. Death in relationships, um, in, in other uh, ways you have to cut off certain things, um, in order to even function. I mean, there's just stuff that comes out that looks, feels, and smells like death. Thirdly, skipping down, look at verse 22. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So we went from doing it to just the Hebrew midwives um, to now everybody, everybody should do it. Um, and, and so strategy number one, let's enslave them. Didn't work. Strategy number two, uh, let's kill all the, the boy, uh, the baby boys when they're born. Didn't work. Strategy number three, um, ju- let's just chunk all the boys into the Nile. The, the, this, though, this wasn't, I mean, yes, it was murder, but it was also sacrifice because they had a god of the Nile. His name was Hopi, H-A-P-I, if you're taking notes at home, um, Hopi. And uh, 
what they said was, man, the God of the Hebrews, he must be something. Because every time we try to do something, it doesn't work. So I can't hold this on my own. Let, let me invoke the God of the Nile to help me with this stuff. Therefore, we make human sacrifice to the God of the Nile. Hopefully he'll be on our side. And um, here's the temptation, and I don't want to run off from this um, too quickly. Here's the temptation, is that we write ourselves in as the Hebrews. Oh, God, here I am. I look at the world. They're crazy. I look at my boss. I'm pretty sure his middle name is Pharaoh. I look at my uh, situation, and I'm like, this feels like slavery. Or I'm, I'm fairly certain death is heading my way. I, I'm looking at this, and I, I'm a Hebrew. I'm putting myself in the place of Hebrews. But here's the thing. Before we put ourselves in the place of Hebrews, let's ask this question. Might it be in us every so often to, to say, I am prone to finding a God who will give me what I want, and I therefore am willing to sacrifice to make sure that he gets on my side and has my attention. Like, is there, is there anything in you that would want to line up your own version of the God of the Nile and say, here you go, I'm sacrificing to you something that I know is not right and is very important. Before we get, before we place ourselves at the Hebrews, do we try to get a different God who will get us a better outcome than the one that we got? Fear is a tyrant. It is a tyrant. And it may not be all three of these things in your life. It may only be one of these things, or it may be some combination. It may not come in this order, whatever. Fear is a tyrant, and when that tyranny reigns in our lives, these three things are often the result. Lesson number one, fear is a tyrant. Number two, I want to read verse 7, and then I want to skip down to verse 12, okay? Verse 7. But, but the people of Israel were fruitful. They increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. We've already made comment there. So here in the midst of slavery now, verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people. Lesson number two. Their problem did not nullify God's promise. Here in Egypt, here under Pharaoh's thumb, in slavery, it did not nullify God's promise. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God looks at Abraham. He says, Abraham, three things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to have a great name. Number two, I'm going to give you a land to dwell in. Number three, your descendants are going to be, your descendants are going to be as many as the sand on the seashore. And um, the, the, the What's happening here in verse 7? They multiply greatly. What is happening in verse 12? They multiplied and increased. They, they spread abroad. If you have uh, a Bible and you want to turn one page backwards to Genesis chapter 50, look at verse 24. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph's like, hey man, this is about to... I'm about to go that way, and I just want you to know God's going to keep his promise. He's going to bring you up out of this land. He's going to visit. So I say that because promises are often for us future-focused. Sometimes they're made in the past, but they are, uh, they are future-focused. And, and the reason why it's important to say that is because waiting on that future to come is really hard. There are things in your life, there are things in my life, there are things in your family, there are things in my family that we are waiting on. And sometimes waiting is the hardest part. Joseph tells his brothers, God's going to raise up a deliverer and he's going to get you out of here. 
That hadn't happened yet. All they know is slavery. But their problem did not nullify his promise. Listen, uh, the problems that we face today, they don't nullify God's promise either. For some of us, waiting is the biggest problem. For some of us, though, it's not only waiting, but also facing this very insurmountable mountain that we're looking at, whatever it may be. Promises are future-focused. And when we wait... And when we have a challenge associated with that, with that waiting, it gets, if you will, kind of extra hard. Promises are designed, they're designed by God to do something. They provoke a kind of hope in us for a future that God is preparing for us. That's, what, that's why he wanted them to know. It's why Joseph, every generation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, All of the generations repeated the same promise. There's a land that's out there and the descendants will be as many on the seashore and the the name of Abraham will be great. They all repeated, they all repeated this promise. And I think when you're waiting and when you have this kind of insurmountable challenge out there, one of the great things that you could do for yourself and one of the great things that you could do for those around you is just to put in your heart into the rhythm of your life this kind of a song, if you will, that repeats the promise over and over and over again because you may be waiting, but God is still going to be faithful. You may be facing a mountain, but God is still going to be faithful. You may be uh, walking through some really, really dark days, but God is still going to be faithful. Things may be rocky um, at home right now, but God is still faithful. Things may be really uncertain at work right now, but God is still faithful. With your health and body, things may be going sideways. God is still faithful. So build into, I, I, in my mind, this, this was me this week. I just, in my mind, I was thinking, like the, the people of Israel went from a kind of favored status there uh, to distrusted and then in, ultimately enslaved. How did they keep that promise alive? As they worked and as they did family and as they went through the generations experiencing slavery, I, I think there was something in them that just sang the songs of God saying, God, you are a promise keeper. You, you are one who keeps your promises. I say that because God's faithfulness is not on trial here. Our faithfulness may be, but not God's. So I, just this morning I read, I wrote it down in the notes just this morning. Paul, Paul has this same kind of thing. He says in Romans chapter five, verse three, we rejoice in our trials what kind of crazy person says that? We rejoice in our trials. Why? Because the trials are awesome, man. We're like, man, trial. No, that's not why. Nobody loves trials. Mountains are real. Pain is real. Sickness is real. Economic hardship is real. Marital stuff is real. Kid stuff is real. All that stuff's real. They're hard. Waiting is real and it's hard. We rejoice on our trials. Why? Because trials bring about perseverance. There's no wimpiness in Christians. We, we're, we're people made out of metal here. Trials bring about perseverance. Perseverance brings about proven character. It's not just metal. Like it's, it's proven character. Proven metal. Like we, we got some stuff in us. And then proven character brings about, listen, proven character brings about hope. Because the antidote to trials is not courage. Courageous people have died stupidly, yes? The antidote, the antidote to that kind of thing is hope. 
And that's where God takes us. Church family, I just want to say one more time, there is no external force. There is no external circumstance or, frankly, internal circumstance in your life that nullifies God's promise. Their problem did not nullify his promise. Third, third thing. Verse 16, let's back up to verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, and, and they were probably like, um, like the chief midwives, they were a bunch of them, but probably just these two were representatives. Verse 16, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women, you see them on the birth stool. If it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, uh, sh- uh, she shall live. That was his version of population control. But the midwives feared God, did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, hey, why have you done this? Let the male children live. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. I love that, first of all. That's just a little like midwife smack talk. You know what I mean? That's just beautiful. Uh, look, look, our people, they're not like your people, man. Um, for their vigorous uh, and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with them. And so here, here's the, the third lesson. First lesson, um, fear is a tyrant. Second lesson, whatever we're facing right now, that doesn't take out or cut it off at the knees, God's promises. Third lesson, um, God uses the highly unlikely. So, so here, here are midwives, and they defied the superpower of the day. Just, just these women who are doing their thing. And, and there's, a, there's a kind of ethical question that comes along. Did they actually lie to Pharaoh or whatever? Um, you know, depending upon how you interpret it and original language, etc. They probably didn't lie. They probably didn't tell him the whole truth either. That's a whole different conversation. But God used them. That's the thing. God used them. They, they defied a superpower. He, here are people who are highly unlikely in this story. They didn't have families of their own until God blessed them later in the story. Um, they they uh, uh, were not of particular standing in the community. And here God used them. Verse, uh, chapter 2 now, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Uh, when she could hide him no longer, she made for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with uh, bitumen and pitch. And if you are a writer in your Bible and you want to write ark right above basket, it's the same word for Noah's ark. Kind of interesting in light of what will happen. She put the child in it, placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. His sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. And now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while our young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman. She took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman um, to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me. I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. He became her son. She named him Moses because I drew him up out of the water. So here we go. Uh, There's two other sets in this story. Uh, You've got uh, God using the unlikely. Here's a daughter who defies her dad, who also happens to be Pharaoh, the king. In, in no circumstance and in no situation should, have that, should that have gone down that way. But here it is um, going down that way. God uses this daughter um, to defy a king 
and her dad and rescue Moses as a result. And then thirdly, um, there's a mom and a daughter who defied fear. They stepped into that situation and said, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that the right thing gets done. Just note that all all of the ones that we've talked about here in the first couple chapters, they're all women. They've all been used by God to do that. A couple of you ladies are like, "Mm -hmm, that's right, I heard you, I heard you, I heard you. It's so true. Last thing, I just want to wrap up here. Verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, so he grew up with his mom's house, uh, grew up as a Hebrew, was given then to Pharaoh's daughter, got to be in the Egyptian palace, see all the intricacies of that. Now verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he, went out to the, uh, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. He said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid. He, sh- he thought, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down there uh, by a well. So here we've got Moses. He's out. He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. He's like, not in my house. Kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Next day, two guys are like, you going to do us like you did him? Here's the thing. Um, Our greatest need, this is the fourth lesson, our greatest need when we live in moments like today, when Moses lived in moments like uh, his day, our greatest need is not independence. Oh, I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm going to do this on my own. Just set me free and I'm going to do this. Our greatest need is not independence. Our greatest need is a better king. Why, Why say it that way? Because Moses, at the end of chapter two there, He looks this way and that and then kills an Egyptian. He's acting like Pharaoh. Moses can't act like Pharaoh and then claim that it's God's work. Church family, listen. We can't act like Pharaoh and then claim it's God's work. We can't do it. If we think, oh, you just set me free and I'll go live my life, we're not going to be able to navigate that. We will become our own king and we'll stick it right back in the ditch. We'll end up in a different kind of bondage. People move from um, addiction to addiction. People move from uh, relationship to relationship. People move from challenge to challenge, problem to problem, because they think that it's independence what they need. It's not independence, folks. It's a better king. So here in Romans chapter 6, Paul again writes, just look at this. Do you know, not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, to the gospel um, to which you were committed, and you've been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness. We don't need independence. We don't need self-righteousness. We need a better king. I've got great news. We have one. We don't have to live according to Pharaoh, either a Pharaoh that's out there or a Pharaoh that lives right here. 
We, we get to live according to a king who is loving, who is merciful, who is good, and who is right. But listen, his only term is complete surrender. Mariah ripped it up while ago. You put your yes on the table, then God asked the question. That's his terms. But listen, that's a better king than Pharaoh. You know where he leads. Jesus leads to life. And so if you're not a believer in here, here's what I want to say to you. If you're not a believer who's watching online, here's what I want to say. The absolute best thing that you could do is surrender your life. I don't even know what all that means. None of us do either. We just continually set our yes on the table and say, God, shape us how you want us. God, send us where you want us. God, help us how we need it. God, use us in the ways that is best. Just our yes is on the table. Would you do whatever it is that you do? Those are the terms. And you can give your life to Christ today simply by saying, Lord Jesus, I surrender. Forgive my sin and come in and take over. My yes is yours. Now, what's the question? And if you are a follower of Jesus in here, my best guess is that there's a portion of your life, a sphere, a segment, a something. There's some place where you go, you know what? Um, I, I am in fear over this. It has ruled and ruled tyrannically. It, it has taken over. It has developed some things in me. It has shaped me in ways that, boy, that's, none of that's good. And so here's what I say to you. His terms are surrender. Give your life to him. Give that segment of your life. Take your marriage and set it before him. Take your kids and set it before him. Take you, um, the situation in which you find yourself financially or medically or any other but and set it before him and go, Jesus, you're the king. My yes is on the table. Give your life to him. Give your life to him. This is just the beginning of the story. There's a lot more to come. In fact, the story actually gets worse before it gets better. That may be true for you too. This is no pep talk. But I'm telling you, it's the story of hope. Because God has raised up a deliverer. And he has offered people life. And he does so through Jesus. Let me pray and we'll have a moment to respond. Um, Now, Father, for all of the folks who are here in the room and everybody who's watching online. Um, I simply pray that wh- whatever that was said today that, that was of you and that you want to stick in any individual's life, you would, I mean, lodge it there. Sear it into us so that the enemy can't take it away. Lock it down inside of us so that it will do the things that you want it to do. I do pray, Father, for anyone who's here or online, who doesn't know you, I pray today, Father, would be the day that they surrender to you. They would give their lives to you. You would forgive them and give them eternal life, just as you promised. And I pray today, Father, for every person in here who is a follower of yours, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would put your finger on something that needs to be um, identified in their life and say, here, submit this to me. Submit it. We give that to you now, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.